want to read something to you about God's goodness. I just want you to listen to this for a moment. The goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. I think it's wonderful that when Jesus was born, God sent the angels as messengers to mankind to announce peace on earth, goodwill toward men. God wasn't coming to hurt us. He was coming to save us. And I thank the Lord for that. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy. And his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness. And he takes pleasure, holy pleasure, in the happiness of his people. And that is something that a lot of religious people can't get their heads around. That God really takes pleasure in our happiness. Especially if our happiness is in him. The God, that God is good is taught on every page of the Bible. It is a foundation stone for all sound thought about God. If God is not good then there is no distinction between kindness or cruelty, heaven or hell. The goodness of God is the drive behind all the blessings he bestows daily upon us. Divine goodness is self-caused, infinite, perfect, and eternal. Since God is immutable, he never varies in the intensity of his loving kindness. He has never been kinder than he is now. Nor will he ever be less kind. He is no respecter of persons, but makes his sun to shine on the evil as well as on the good. And he sends his rain on the just and on the unjust alike. The cause of his goodness is himself, not the merit of his beneficiaries. Always God's goodness is the ground of our expectation. He hears prayer because he's good. And for no other reason. Nor is faith meritorious. It is simply confidence in the goodness of God. And the lack of faith is but the evidence of a gross deception about the holy goodness of God in you or in me. Anyone in spite of past sins who wants to be reconciled to God may inquire. If I come to God, how will he act toward me? What kind of disposition will he have? What will I find him to be like? He will be found exactly like Jesus. Jesus walked with men on earth to show us what God is like. He made known to us the true nature of God. And he corrected the demonic lies that we held about God. Jesus shows us how God acts toward people. The hypocritical The insincere will find him as they found Jesus. The penitent will find him merciful. The self-condemned will find him generous and kind. To the frightened, he is friendly. To the poor, he is forgiving. To the ignorant, he is considerate. To the weak, he's gentle. To the stranger, he's hospitable. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland says, the yearning heart of God delivers and re-delivers sinners who find themselves drowning in the sewage of their life. What a statement. 
I love it because he delivers us from the sewage of our life. And I love it because he re-delivers us from it when we jump right back into it. He's not the God of the second chance only. He's the God of every chance. Every chance. Jesus said this, and I'll probably repeat it a little bit this morning, but Jesus said in John chapter 6, Whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast him out. What does no wise mean? Bring your reasoning for Jesus to cast you out, and he will tell you, I still won't do it. I'm not going to cast you out. Whatever you think, whatever you say, whatever your reasonings are, I'm not going to cast you out. We don't understand that about God because he's not like us. I want to read that line again. The yearning heart of God delivers and re-delivers sinners who find themselves drowning in the sewage of their life, who find themselves in need of rescue that they cannot even begin on their own, let alone complete. Praise God. Praise God, he's not the God who delivers us from the miry clay, as it were, the slime, as it were, cleans us up and sets us on a rock and says, now walk this way. But he's the God who carries us, walks with us, protects us, completes it. Whom do you perceive him to be in your sin and in your suffering? Who do you think God is? Not just on paper, but in the kind of person you believe is hearing you when you pray. How does he feel about you? His saving of us is not cool and calculating. It is a matter of yearning. The Bible takes us by the hand and leads us out from under the feeling that his heart for us wavers according to our loveliness or our goodness. God's heart confounds our intuitions of who he is. Your very sins move him to pity. Not towards anger to you. And is far from being provoked against you. All his anger is turned upon your sin to ruin it and save you. Yes, his pity is increased the more towards you, even as the heart of a father is to a child that has some loathsome disease, or as one is to a member of his own body that has leprosy. He hates not the member that has leprosy, for it is his flesh. He hates the disease, and that provokes him to pity the part that is affected the most. And when God sees any of his children suffering, his pity is extended greatly to every one of them. It is wonderful to be a child of God. It is wonderful to be saved. But the beauty of this salvation and the wonder of this salvation is not just so much in the biblical text of salvation. What's so wonderful about it is you really know the Father. And the sad thing is, as many of his children, though they're saved and they'll go to heaven, they don't really know the Father. So Jesus came to demonstrate him to us. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 that Jesus was the express image of the invisible God. And so everything that you would wonder about God is perfectly manifest in Jesus. Throughout all of the Old Testament types and shadows, you saw glimpses of God. 
You would see a glimpse of God in Joseph or in Moses or in Abraham or Sarah or Ruth. You would see a glimpse of God in Isaiah. You'd see a glimpse of God in Daniel. But it wasn't until Jesus that you would see all of the attributes and the beauty of God himself in perfect expression and fullness in the person of Jesus Christ. So you know what he thinks about sinners and you know what he thinks about children and you know what he thinks about religious people and you know what he thinks about pagans and you know what he thinks about hardship and suffering and even death because he wept when his friend was in the grave. So we know what Jesus is like. Therefore, we know what God is like because Jesus is God and he's the expression of his father. In Isaiah chapter 55, I wanted to read a few verses with you. It's not a long chapter. I'm just going to read some of it. And I, I, I would like to look at Isaiah 55 and then I'd like to go to Jeremiah 29. If you would, please. I think those are the only two passages I'm going to go to today. And this is the cry of God. It's, it's a beautiful expression as he's leaving from chapter 54 about God wants to protect us from the devices that have been created against us. From every weapon formed against us, God wants to bless us and prosper us. What a desire in God. He's obviously not writing to a good people. Israel was not a good people. And don't point your finger at the Jews and just think, you know, oh, they were such rebels to God. We're the same way. Even those that of us that have been redeemed by God, aren't you glad he's the one who re-delivers sinners? He's the one that keeps pulling us out and pulling us out. And you go to an altar 10,000 times about the same thing. And you're just thinking, God's done with me. And you fall again and he pulls you out. And he's going to keep pulling you until he pulls you up and you have a body like his. Praise God. Now, I'm not talking about the salvation of everybody. I'm talking about the believers who are truly trusting in Jesus Christ. So he comes into chapter 55 and he says, Oh, everyone that thirsts or listen, listen, I, I plead with you, everyone that is thirsty, come to the waters. And he that has no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And this is just beautiful. He talks about water, wine and milk. And he says, come and buy it because they represent something. Water represents life. Milk represents health and wine represents joy. And God is looking at men. He's looking at you and he's looking at me and he's looking at the way we live. And God has watched our life just like he watched the life of Israel and he sees that we're all the same. And so God's kind of just saying to us, okay, you want to buy everything? Is that what you want to do? You want to go work yourself to death so you can have the best new car, the best house, or you can buy the best wine, you can buy yourself happiness, you can buy yourself friends, you can buy yourself entertainment, and you go and you work so hard so you can buy, is that what you want to do? Be your own man, buy your own, then come to me and buy water, and buy milk and buy wine, and I'm not going to charge you. It's free, come to me. You're looking for life, you're looking for health, and you're looking for joy. Aren't you tired of the endless pursuit of it? Come to me and I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Man, what a, what a deal, right? But we don't come. We don't come. Even as Christians, even as children of God, we don't come. We continue to pursue God through religion, through works and through efforts and trying to gain God's approval of us. So come and buy it without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? 
and your labor for that which doesn't satisfy you. Hearken diligently, listen to me, so you can eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. I want your delight. I want you to be happy. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, as as John is giving this great epistle about fellowship with God, and John is just giving out this invitation. He says, we want you to fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with him, and we're writing all of these things. Why? So your joy can be full. Joy is not in half-hearted Christianity. Joy is not in a Sunday morning service. Joy is not in some religious calisthenic that we do and we pop open, you know, morning and evening by Spurgeon or we open up Oswald's Chambers devotional and that was my devotion in my time with God. Joy is living in the presence of God and drinking of His Spirit and walking with God. That's the joy of our life. That's the hope of our life. Let me me tell you something in here this morning that everybody that you see in this room There are people in this room that are authentic lovers of Jesus Christ. There are people in this room that have turned their lives over to Jesus and they're living a life that they never dreamed that they could live. But please understand this. Everyone in this room that now loves Jesus at a time in their past did not love him. They were drunks. They aborted their children. They were addicts. They were drug addicts. They went through multiple numbers of divorces. They have wrecked their children's lives. They have done horrible things in their life. And one day they had an encounter with Jesus Christ and he changed their life. Listen, what they have experienced in the encounter of Jesus Christ is so genuine and it is so real. They don't want anything else. You don't understand why they go back to church on Sunday nights. You don't understand why they go back to church on Wednesday nights. You don't understand why they want to go and fellowship with Christians during the week. You don't understand why they're so committed to this Jesus stuff. It's not so they can get to heaven. They have found for the first time in their life joy. Real joy and happiness and delight. They could go back to the life you're living in a second. But they won't. Because they found him. And he gave them this water. And this milk. And this wine. And their lives are satisfied in Jesus Christ. And oh God says that everyone would come. He says in verse 3. Incline your ear. Just turn your ear to me. Listen. Come here. And your soul will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. These are not good people God's writing to. And Christians were not good people. And even Christians today would say they're the worst of people. And Mr. Sinner, whoever you are in this room, you're not the worst one in here. So get off your proud horse. You have no idea. Humble yourself before God and understand that God wants us to live. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, he shall call a nation that you know not and nations that knew you not will run to you because the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Now here it is, to, to, to the sinful people like me and like you, 
to the sinful people. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. I, I was attracted to this passage when I heard of Luke Kinchin and his accident. And my, my compassions, I don't hardly know Luke. My compassions went out to him because that woman could have drove her car right through his windshield. But God gave him another day to seek the Lord while he may be found. Oh, God, you're so merciful. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And why should you do it? Because God's got the life and the health and the joy. You're spending all your money and you're not happy. You're miserable. People's lives are broken who have to live around you. For God's sake, let us forsake our ways. Let the unrighteous man, his thoughts, thoughts, Oh, the things we think. And let him return to the Lord. Listen to this. This is what it comes to. God will have mercy upon him. Praise God. Come on, look at that. Come on. We, we are. That, let's just say that for all of us. We are the wicked people. Forsake your way. The unrighteous man, forsake your thoughts. Return to the Lord. And what will God do? He will have mercy on us. God. Why would we not do that? And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Are, are you kidding me? And, and initially, everything in me says, no way. There's no way. This does not happen. This is not the way it works. That's, what I, that's why the Bible says, let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Because my thoughts keep me from God. Why would I, a guilty reprobate, a sinner, a wicked person, why would I turn to a holy and just God with my guilt? He's going to destroy me. No, no, he's not. He's going to be merciful to you. He's going to abundantly pardon. And oh, please, I mean, do you think you're away from him anyway? Do you think he cannot just catch you like an ant on the sidewalk? He's like, think you'll get away from me, huh? I mean, come on, he's, he's there. Just turn to him. And you'll find mercy with God. It's so beautiful. And then he says this in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. And you could read down for the rest. But God prophesies joy and blessing to their life. Joy and blessing again. But what I love in this and... God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, my thoughts are above your thoughts. And so, this is what we do. We cannot imagine that God would really be merciful to us. Because we're not that way. We don't treat each other like that. Fathers don't treat their children that way. Wives don't treat their husbands that way. 
People don't treat people that way. We are conditioned for the eye for an eye and the tooth for a tooth. I used to go home from school, and if I had gotten in a fight and I didn't hit back, my parents were going to hit back. You fight back. You defend yourself. You don't tolerate that stuff. You're taught, you know, in this society of life, you've got to be strong. You've got to stand on your two feet. You've got you you to have authority in your life. And that's the way we relate with each other. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Somebody strikes you on the face, you strike them back. Jesus comes along and he says, you turn the other cheek. Jesus comes and he teaches us mercy. Why? He's the expression of the Father. He's not, he's not the expression of fallen men. He's the expression of the Father. And that's the way we do, right? If you hurt my feelings and you upset me, you do something wrong to me. I feel like you betray me. I feel like you've slandered me. I see something that you wrote on Facebook about me. I'm not talking to you anymore. I don't want to see you. I see you on aisle eight, so I'm going to go to aisle two. Because I don't want to encounter you. I'm scared of what I might say to you. Not really. I've planned what I want to say to you. Honestly. And what I want to do to you. Honestly. And these, these are the things that we go through. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to invite them. I don't want them around. I don't want to see them. Why can't they go to another church? Why do they have to be around me? They're just a hypocrite. Why doesn't everybody know this about them? And that's the way we are. And God says, those are not my thoughts. I don't think like that, like you think. You cannot interpret me by your thoughts. They're absolutely different. I will give you mercy and I will abundantly pardon you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The very law that you gave us judges me. The very law that you gave me to not lie and not steal and not commit adultery and honor people. This very law that you gave me judges me and you're holy and you're righteous and you're good. And I'm going to walk up to you and say, hey, God, I'm the sinner. I did it all. And you're going to pardon me? There's no way. This is not the way that it works. And God says the way that I work. And the reason he's doing it and the reason he can do it is because he's going to offer his son in atoning sacrifice for our sins. And his death and his blood is going to be the payment for our wrongs that we've done. Now, this isn't for everybody. It's for those that repent and believe on the Lord. But God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So what are his thoughts? I want you to go to Jeremiah 29 for that. Because I think this is um, just a beautiful correlation. In Jer- Jeremiah 29, I want you to understand who God is speaking to. He's speaking to Israel. And they're living in captivity. They're in, they're in, they're in oppression. And the reason they're in oppression is because they've sinned against God. They have committed horrible sins. They've committed idolatry. They've they've killed their children to false gods. And God warned them that if they did these things, they would be brought into captivity. So here they are in captivity. They don't show any signs of turning. They're not good. They're saying to Jeremiah, you're a false prophet. And God has not sent you. And Jeremiah is prophesying from a dungeon that's the sewage runs through. 
And Jeremiah says this on behalf of God in verse 11. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. And if a prophet who could see the full extent of my sin walked up into this room today and said, Lee, I have a word from God for you because of your sin, I would begin to shudder. I feel like God has called me to something. Something deeper for me. More intimate with Him. And I don't understand it. But I can't deny it. And the only thing I could pray over the last few days, I don't know how to be your friend. I'm too corrupt. I'm too carnal. I'm too distracted. I don't know how, but if you will help me, God, I want to be that for you. And if a prophet came up in here, pointed his finger and said, Leeship, I have a word from God for you. God sees everything that you've done. God sees every wickedness in your life. I would begin to shudder. And I believe most of you would too. Stop looking at me like that. And that prophet says, these are God's thoughts towards you, Lee. I would begin to think, oh my God, he's got me. Where can I go? Where can I hide? Where can I leave? Because this is the way my mind works. This is my thoughts. He says, Lee, God's thoughts for you are peace. And a blessed ending. And all of a sudden, all of the fear and all of the terror that I have because I know myself melts away into a, a, a posture in my soul and in my spirit that can do nothing. But I want to love Him. That's why I'm in an altar. He raptures me every day. That's what Jeremiah comes to them and says. These are the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Call upon me. Go pray. I will listen to you. Oh, praise God. Thank you, God, that you're not like me. Thank you, God, that you're not like men. Thank you, God, that you're so different. We're expecting judgment and we get comfort. Out of the heart of God comes mercy. And out of our heart comes the reluctance to receive it. The evidence of Jesus' mercy for you is not your life. It's his life. That's the evidence of his mercy to you. His wounds. His stripes. The nail pierces in his hands and his feet is the evidence of his mercy over your life. And I know that he loves me 
And I know that he is my God because he is born for me. The chastisement of my peace and my suffering and my iniquity was laid upon him. When I read these things, I just come away thinking, you know, God just wants me to understand. Don't think about me the way you think about yourself or the way you think about other men. So I'm going to close with this story that most of you are very familiar with. Wait a minute. Go to Jeremiah. I want you to see this in chapter 31. I don't want to skip this. Then I'm going to come right back to the story. All through Jeremiah, he's, he's this prophet. He's prophesying these, this judgment of the nations that are coming against them. They're, they're, Israel is evil. They've forsaken God. They've polluted the land with whoredom. Their thoughts are wicked continuously. They have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They're full of idolatry. That's what the people are like. And in chapter 31, remember chapter 29, he says, these are the thoughts that I have for you. Why does God have thoughts like that against such a sinful people? Chapter 31, verse 3, the Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn you. That's why God does it. In verse 20, he says, is Ephraim my dear son? And he's speaking about Judah. Is he a pleasant child? For since I spoke against him, I had to declare the judgments that were coming on his rebellion. I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my bowels are troubled. In other words, what he's saying is, I yearn for him. And I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. And here's this yearning God. And so I want you to see it this way. Because this is the picture that we are given in the Bible. And remember, Jesus is the expression of the Father. And he's trying to teach us about God. And he's trying to teach us about mercy. And he's given hope for sinners because we're all sinners. And there's not one thing any of us can do to fix ourselves. And we need this God and we need this mercy. And we need to know that God is a God of mercy. And that God will help us. And God extends to us his pity when we turn to him. And his compassion and abundantly pardons when we turn to him. There's one particular day Jesus is sitting and while he's sitting there, I don't know how many it was. We're not given a number, but there was a, a great number of sinners that came around Jesus. And they're kind of thrown. These are sinners, you know, like some of you feel about yourself. And they're, they're pushing in on Jesus, and Jesus is eating, and, and they're eating, and Jesus is talking, and the religious leaders come by, the Pharisees come by, and they, they, they made this comment about him. Listen to me. They made this comment about him. They said, look at this. He receives sinners. They were startled. Holy people don't do this. But Jesus, and this is what they meant, Jesus is kind to sinners. Jesus is gracious to sinners. Jesus opens his heart up and allows into his life sinners, and he eats with them.
So Jesus knows. I have to make Isaiah 55 and Jeremiah 29 and Jeremiah 31 real. Because I want them to get it too. Not just these sinners who get to eat with me and find my joy, but these religious leaders who can't enter into my joy. I want them to as well. So he said to them, I I just want to tell you something. He said, I'd like to ask you a question. Which one of you who has a hundred sheep, if one of them got away, would you not put away the ninety-nine and go search for that one lamb that got away? How many of you would not go do that? None of the Pharisees could could deny that, that they would they would certainly do that. It's just one lamb out of a hundred. But he goes and he searches for it, and he tells his friends that he's lost one of his lambs and to help him if it's at all possible and He goes out and he searches until he finds the lamb. And then he says, when I find the lamb, I joyfully put it upon my shoulders and I carry it back. I don't put it in front of me with a stick and beat it home. I put it on my shoulders and I carry it back. And when I get home, I tell all of my friends that I've found my lamb, come and celebrate with me. Or a woman that had ten pieces of silver and she lost a coin. And she begins to panic because of the lost coin. And she tells her friends, I've lost one of my coins. And she begins to search her house and sweep and moves furniture looking everywhere for the coin. And then she finds it and she tells her friends that I found it. I've swept the house and I found it. And Jesus said, that's the way it is when one sinner repents. Rather than 99 righteous people not repenting. That's the way it is in the presence of my Father and His angels in heaven when one sinner repents. You know what Jesus is saying? My Father would touch them. My Father would welcome them. My Father loves them. And He would let them in to His home even though you guys won't let them into your home. He'll let them into His home. So a man had two sons, and one of the sons says to his father, I want my inheritance, and the father gave it to him, and the son, a few days later, packed up all of his stuff, and he left, and he went to a far country, and he spent all of his money on prostitutes and entertainment and life and wine and everything, and spent it all. He's broke, and a famine hits the land, and the son The only thing he could find to do to hopefully survive this famine is feed pigs. Number one, pigs is not kosher to Jewish people. And he's feeding the pigs and he's in the slop with the pigs and he's looking at the food that he's given to the pigs and he's thinking, I need to start eating this or I'm not going to live. And then all of a sudden he comes to himself and he remembers, you know, My father's a good man. He has many servants. They're all well taken care of. I don't deserve to be his son anymore. But I'll go back to my father. I'll ask his forgiveness and I will ask him if he will take me on as a servant. I don't expect anything else. And I will tell my father that I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And so the boy begins to go home. 
And the Bible says, Jesus said, when he was a long way off, he didn't run from me to Trent. He was a long way off. I could tell my boys apart just by the way they walk. And he could tell a long way off, my son, my son is coming home. And the Bible says that the father's heart overflowed with compassion. Now, we wouldn't have done that. So he said, look at him begging. Made his bed, he needs to sleep in it. Took all my money and goes and wasted on prostitutes. He's going to come running back here? I don't think so. No. He's not like us. And we're like that. But he's not like us. His heart is overflowing with compassion and he runs to his son. And his son begins his confession of repentance. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you, Father. And the father takes him and just embraces him. We know it because Jesus said the father kissed him. And the father got close enough to smell like the son smelled. And the smell of pigs. And the mess of pigs that was on the son was on the father. And the father brings the son and he says to his servants, I want you to bring a robe and I want you to put it on him. I want the ring on his finger and I want the shoes on his feet. You know what that means? That robe is our identity. He's not a servant. He's my son. You give him the family robe. And son, you walk around here like you own the place. And I want you to put a ring on his finger because the ring was authority. And I reinstate you with authority, son, in my house. And put shoes on his feet. You know what that means? You're not in prison here, boy. You can come and go. Because I know what happened to you is real. And I know you'll never leave me again. So you have freedom. Come and go as you want. But that older brother could never get over the kindness of the Father. Because that's the way we are. You see, you want God to get your enemies, but you don't want Him to get you. You're so aware of everybody else's faults, how they need to change. Oh, but God, how I need to change. And the Father goes out to the older brother, says, your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. Should we not celebrate? My paraphrase, come on, son. Get the smell of a pig on you too. Quit trying to be so noble. And let's show love. And that's the compassion of the Father. Jesus told us that. And Jesus said, whoever comes to me, whoever, I will in no wise cast out. And beloved, if you are disgusted over your sin and you have fallen so much and you lack any confidence at all that your life is ever going to be different, I beg you, to turn to God with all of the filth and all of the mud. Don't wash yourself up, if you will, 
to come to him with the smell of a pig on you and lay it before your father and you will find mercy and pardon. One day, he's going to come get us and he's going to give us a body like his. He's going to give us a full and incredible and beautiful life eternally with him. But you've got to believe that he is able to do it. I want you to stand with me. I beg you to come. I don't know why people wouldn't come. And I ask you to come. Don't be ashamed of the fact that you've got something wrong with your life. We all do. Oh, please get to God. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in Him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still. Oh, how he loves you. Sing it. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid all. Oh, oh, come to him. Come to him this morning. Hearken to me. Listen to me, people. Come to him. Come and buy water and milk and wine. Let him satisfy you one more time. Jesus paid it all. Father, we forsake our thoughts and our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts and your ways are not our ways. It's so hard for us to understand compassion and mercy and pardon when we understand how guilty we are. Lord, that is what we find with you. You don't treat us the way we treat each other. You're not holding a grudge. You're not hiding from us. You're not trying to avoid us. Oh, God, you're not disgusted because we're turning to you. You're so glad that we are. And you run out to meet us and your compassions are overflowing. You want to restore us, God. You want to restore our authority and our freedom and our liberty as sons and daughters. Oh, Father, compel your children to you this morning. Compel them to you. Because, Lord, there's not one in this room that has not struggled and failed. 
does not suffer the condemnation of their own heart, but Lord, you're greater than their hearts. Oh, Jesus, you will not cast one out. You will not. Lord, don't let any turn away. Don't let any turn away, God. Don't let them leave you, God. Oh, Father, he will not cast you out. Don't you walk out. We're going to worship God. Beloved, I beseech you to the presence of your Father. I beg you to come. I beg you wherever you are to bow before God right where you are in whatever condition that you're in and worship Him. Need Him. Need Him. Let His Spirit come and touch you. Let His Spirit come and heal you. There's no church that can heal you. There's no group of people touching you that can heal you. But let God do 